Hey everyone, so glad that you've joined us this morning. Uh, before we get going this morning, I just want to say uh, that us as a staff and a, a church, we're here for you. Uh, if there's anything that you want to talk about or pray through, uh, feel free to reach out to us as a staff. Uh, we deeply care about you and just want to see God's best in your life. And as we're in this relationship series, Better Together, uh, we're talking a lot about families, a lot about parenting. And personally, I feel that parenting uh, is one of the most challenging roles that you will ever have. And uh, COVID's not made it any easier. And so we want you to know, parents, that we are here for you. Uh, please reach out. It's our privilege to listen, to pray, to offer whatever wisdom and advice we can. So please reach out. You're not alone. Uh, and no issue is too small or too insignificant uh, to reach out. So please, please do that. So we're in the third week of our series, Better Together. And I love this focus that we have on relationships. Much of the New Testament writings are, help us focus on Jesus' command to love one another as I have loved you. And this is pivotal for us as Christ followers that we get this right because this really is our identity marker. This is what sets us apart as Jesus followers, right? How will we know that we are Christ followers? Jesus said it himself, that we have love one for another. And so it's that we are better together and that we do together better. And so, as you know, this is the reality. In every relationship, conflict is inevitable. Disagreements are inevitable. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, how to do conflicts better. And so is it possible that there's a way to handle conflict that would actually deepen our relationships rather than bringing them to the breaking point? And so my hope is that we'll see from Scripture how we can move from fighting with each other to fighting for each other. And I think that's key, fighting with each other to fighting for one another. And I think it's possible. Uh, but before we get into that, let's have a little fun. I hope this doesn't hit too close to home, but let's first look at some unhealthy conflict styles. And maybe you can identify with some of these. I know I can. So on the instigating end, the first unhealthy conflict style that I want to point out is the sniper the sniper. Now the sniper, you'll never see the sniper, but you'll feel it, right? This is someone who takes their shots from a long distance away. Maybe they grumble and they complain about you. Maybe they gossip about you. This could be in a, in a workplace setting or somewhere like that, uh, right? So the sniper, you'll never see them, but you'll sure feel them. Unhealthy. Uh, the next one is the ninja, right? This is like the sniper. They're silent, but they're deadly. And if you have someone in the home that gives you the silent treatment, you know all about the ninja, right? This next one is the bull in a china shop, right? With the bull in the china shop, nothing is off limits. The past, right? Past conflicts, your, your mother, nothing is off limits to the bull in the china shop. And then the last one is the magician. And the magician is the twister of truth and reality. They'll take your words and twist them and use them against you and you're like, I didn't even mean that, but they're a magician, they can do that, right? So some unhealthy conflict styles on the instigating end, but what about on the receiving end? Well, the first one is the ostrich. Now the ostrich, their philosophy is just stick your head in the sand and hope it goes away. I just don't wanna deal with it. I'm not gonna deal with it. I'm just gonna stick my head in the sand and hope it goes away. The next one is the opossum. Now, the opossum, they basically just roll over and play dead, right? That it's all my fault. 
like I'm never going to change. It's sort of self-loathing. Everything just hinges on me and I just roll over and play dead. It's my fault. Uh, the next one is where you kind of circle the rag wagons or rally your posse, right? This is where you've had a conflict with someone and what do they do? They go to their friends and they tell their friends all about this conflict and they kind of rally together and they say, you're not like that, you're better than that, you don't need this person, right? They kind of circle the wagons or rally the posse. And then this last one is the boxer. Now a good boxer knows how to take a punch, but they know how to counterattack and give a knockout blow. And if you're a boxer and you're together with someone, your partner, your, someone you're married to, or one of your kids is the bull in a china shop, when you get the bull in the china shop and the boxer together, there's usually flames and things are broken and fists go through walls. It's just the way it is. But regardless of our kind of conflict style, whether it's somewhat unhealthy or maybe even moderately healthy, uh, my main point today is this, is that fighting dirty makes a mess. Right, we know that. We've had so much relational fallout, maybe, right? We have so much conflict. Fighting dirty makes a mess. But making up means coming clean. Fighting dirty makes a mess. Making up means coming clean. We're gonna look at today Colossians 3. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. It's gonna appear on the screen as well. Colossians 3, verses 12 to 15. We're gonna jump in. And what I love about this is, Again, there's, you can go on the inter internet, you can get books. There's lots of material out there on how to fight fair, you know, how to fight in a, in a healthy way. But what I appreciate about this is it grounds us in scripture. And I, I don't want to discount any of that, uh, but I also want to take that and say, okay, what does Jesus want for us? What, is, what does scripture have for us? And that's where Colossians and Paul gives us. So let's read together, starting in verse 12. Since God shows you to be holy people he loves, to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Verse 14, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and always be thankful. Amen. Verse 12, let's look at that first. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must close your, clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And so Paul begins where he always does. Paul begins not with our behavior, but our identity. And we see here right off the bat that God chose us, that we are God's chosen we see that we are holy, that we are actually set apart by God for his service and his use, right? So we're chosen, we're holy, but also we're deeply, deeply loved, right? And so we see the privilege, we see the identity, we see our starting point for all our interactions, all our engagement is that we are God's chosen, that we're set apart to live differently, and that we are loved. So we're secure. For us as Christ followers, there's security in that. Right? But also with that privilege, there's some responsibility that comes with that. And it sometimes can be easy to miss. But I think these verses do a wonderful job of piecing them together. Right? So as I said, as we look at the New Testament, a lot of it is directed to how we as Christ followers live in relationship with one another. And so this morning, the dial is pointed directly at us. Right? As we think about whose we are, that we are God's Right? And Paul, when he compares us to the greatness and majesty of God, we see and we acknowledge that there are flaws within us, that we have our own weaknesses and our own limitations that we bring to our relationships. 
right? And so as we approach all our relationships, we approach it with that understanding, right? That we need God's grace, that we need that for us, right? And so that we enter our conversations with this meekness and kindness and humility, knowing that God is so much greater and so much larger and so much bigger than we are, right? And so we enter those conversations like that. And what does he say because of that? Because of this understanding, he says that we must clothe ourselves in these virtues. And I love that language of, of clothing ourselves, right? Because with our clothes, that's how people see us. That's how they look at us. That's what they see when they see us, that these characteristics should become our identity markers, right? Paul is saying that it's not necessarily about what we say, and our faith is not even about what we believe necessarily, but it's what we believe enough to do, right? So Paul's saying, hey, if you're my chosen, if you're loved, here's some of the characteristics that are going to naturally flow from that relationship and that connection. This is how we started off uh, chapter three in Colossians verses one and two. He says, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the reality of heaven where Jesus or where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, right? So what we believe enough to do, what we believe enough to change in our lives, what we believe enough to alter how we think of yourselves and others in relationship, Paul, Paul is telling us to set our sights above, to set our sights on how God wants us to live, to make how he has loved us, the example of how we're to love and engage with others. So he wants us to take the high ground in our relationships and especially in our disagreements. He wants us to take the high ground. He wants us to lead in all our relationships with grace. He wants us to be a grace first people. Our earthly inclination is about me being right, me being powerful, especially in disagreements, me being in control, me calling the shots, me being happy, sometimes at all costs. And that's not grace. That's not what grace is about. That's not what these verses are saying should be our heavenly mindset when it comes to relationships and the conflicts we face in those relationships. Our heavenly perspective when it comes to conflict is not about me being right. It's not about me winning. It's about me making things right. Let me say that again. In our conflict, it's not about me being right. It's not about me winning. It's about me making things right. See, Christ didn't come to win. He came to make things right. He came to put things back in their proper place. And in Christ, all things are made right, are made new. And how did Jesus do this? It's very important. We see this in Philippians. As Paul says, he lowered himself. How did he make things right? He lowered himself. He took on flesh. He became a servant. And if that's what took him, the son of God, to make things right, don't you think that's also the path for us that we need to take in all our relationships? It is. So when you have a disagreement, whether it's in your home, with your kids, with your spouse, your partner, in the church, at work, they all stem from us wanting to be right rather than a posture of trying to make things right right. So when it comes to our disagreements, and we're all going to have them, things are going to get messy. We know that. Things are going to get out of place that need to be put back together and made right. I would encourage you this morning to practice grace. Practice grace. Lower yourself. Instead of puffing up, clothe yourself with meekness, humility, patience, 
and kindness and gentleness. Put the person you're in a disagreement with first. Seek their best. Really listen. Consider how can I make this right for you? So lead with grace. The second thing, if we want to fight fair, we not only need to lead with grace, but we must become vulnerable. Become vulnerable. Verse 13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So the call here in verse 13 is to be vulnerable, to be real, right? And the first person that we need to be real with is ourselves. The fact is we don't have to fake it. We need to come clean with that fact. When I look at that character list in verse 12 that we just talked about, the truth is I don't come clean under that scrutiny, right? Because there's selfish ambition. There's jealousy in me. And I think in all of us, the good news is of Jesus and the gospel is that there's forgiveness and power to live another way. We don't have to fake it. We can come clean. We can be honest about that, that, hey, I'm struggling with this or I made this decision from a bad place. Would you forgive me? Or I said things I knew would hurt and I'm sorry. We can come clean. We don't have to fake it. We don't have to be confrontational in that way. We can be honest. Before we can give grace to others and before we can take into account other people's humanity, we need to come face to face with our own humanity. We need to apply the forgiveness of Jesus to our own lives each and every day. And none of us are above that. None of, none of us have been Christ followers for too long that we still don't need that in our own lives. So once we come face to face, we come clean, we can offer that to others freely. So where have we been so far? Verse 12, we, we heard that it's not about me being right. It's not about me winning, but it's about making things right. Verse 13, we learned that I need to come clean. I don't have to fake it. I don't have to put on a front. I don't have to appear better than I am. I just need to apply the grace of Jesus to my life and give that to others. And then next in, in verse 14 and 15, we need to see if we want to fight fair, I need to submit myself to Jesus every day. Verse 14 to 15, what do we see? Above all, clothe yourselves, not only in meekness and gentleness, but clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you were called to live in peace and always be thankful. So what we see here is that the point of conflict is actually to bring us closer together. It's to bring us into a deeper connection. That only happens when we approach it clothed in love. That's the only way it's going to have a chance to do that. These things can only be redeemed when we approach it with that mindset. In conflict, we show our true selves. In conflict, we actually become vulnerable. Now, it always doesn't look like vulnerability. It typically feels like an attack, right? It typically sounds like you've done this or you've said that or I can't believe you did this or that or you never said you'd do this again. But when we, when we look deeper beyond the attack, what they are really saying to us is, is, hey, I'm hurt, I'm confused, or I'm frustrated. Often, though, what we do is we meet at an attack with a counterattack rather than looking for a way to bind us together, to bring us closer together. 
So we have the opportunity when anyone kind of comes at us with these type of words, we have the opportunity to, to come around them like a warm blanket, to protect them and to bring them to a place of peace. Rather than going in attack mode, we can ask, hey, what have I done to cause this? Or how can I make this better? So this is not only an opportunity for you to come clean with yourself, a chance to look in the mirror and, and take a hard inventory, but it's also a chance to be vulnerable and extend grace. This is an opportunity to bring peace, to join with Jesus in making things right. Or as the author says here, as Paul says, to bring things into perfect harmony. Here's when we say, hey, I don't want to fight against you, but I want to fight to help make things right for you. I want to fight to make things right between us. And like Jesus, if there's anything getting in the way of that, I'm going to remove that, even if it's an attitude within me. What would our relationships look like if we approach the conflict that we're inevitably going to have, if we look for an opportunity to, to redeem those moments, looking to use that disagreement to draw us together rather than pull us apart, to bring us in perfect harmony? But I know this will only happen as we submit ourselves to Jesus on a daily basis. As we enter the long process of becoming like Jesus and allowing his way of thought, his way of approaching life, his way of approaching relationships to rule and take priority in our life. That's what he's saying here. As we seek, as we seek to replace our character with his. And that's what verse 14 and 15 are challenging us to do. In all our relationships, in all our disagreements, our call is to help people to live in peace. And this is a community thing. We're to be on the lookout for people who need peace, who need reconciliation, and to be active agents of bringing that into reality in their life. And so we're to be peacemakers. And so I ask you, does that honestly look like your life right now? When you look at your last few conflicts and disagreements you've had, would you say that people that you've been in disagreement with have found peace? Or has it just been a, 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 a time of disconnecting or a burnt relationship? Has nobody been willing to come clean with uh, their own weaknesses and their own frailty and their own limitations? Has anybody uh, been willing to give God their attitude, their character and their behaviors? And my heart is, for me, my heart is for you today that we'll all be peacemakers in a world that desperately needs peacemakers. So my challenge this week is to practice grace, vulnerability, and discipleship in all our relationships. It's not about winning. It's about making things right. I need to come clean and give grace to other people. And I need to submit myself daily to Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for your word that helps guide us, that helps ground us. God, thank you that, that you've chosen us, that you love us, that you've set us apart to be difference makers in a world, to be peacemakers in a world that desperately needs it. And so I pray, God, that you would help us as Christ followers to model this out well, to do life better together and to do together better in all our relationships and especially, God, in, in the disagreements that we're inevitably going to have at home with our, our spouse or partner, at, with those who are closest to us. God, help us to model this, to, be, to lower ourselves, to give and to receive grace freely. Help us to do that today, I pray. And Lord, may our families, God, may our relationships, may our church uh, be a light on a hill that 
people around us will look and say, hey, they do relationships differently there. They give grace. They admit when they're at fault and they follow hard after you. And so I pray, God, that that would be, Lord, our mantra, our mindset this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless.